Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. Quality people, welcome to episode number 54 of the Healthcare Quality Cast, powered by the Quality Coaching Company. I am your host, Jarvis Gray, and quality people, if you are not a fan of hip-hop, then you may not relate to this reference, but there was a popular song by Drake a few years back called Starter from the Bottom. In this song, Drake basically describes the success of his career path starting from the bottom and making his rise to the top. And I share this because as I prepped this episode, that was absolutely the thought that came to mind as our guest, Roselle Perry, shared her story and path as a healthcare quality and patient safety leader. Roselle is the Director of Quality and Risk Management with Vibra Healthcare. In this role, Roselle is responsible for directing all quality improvement efforts within her LTAC facility to foster a culture of continuous improvement and organizational excellence. You'll hear it in this episode, but Roselle has an incredible scope of work as her role includes regulatory compliance, accreditation, patient and employee safety, and also serves as a designated chief compliance officer. Roselle is a master's prepared nursing quality leader and prior to this has served in a variety of risk management, infection control, and nursing manager roles. Here in episode number 54, Roselle starts our show with one of my personal favorite quotes that encourages us to take the leap of faith. Roselle highlights her phenomenal career progression and introduces us to quality improvement within the LTAC setting. She shares her favorite failure connected with paying attention to details. And when you hear her story, you'll realize that it could truly happen to any one of us in the healthcare setting. Roselle highlights her top approaches for achieving success with her project teams and teaches us how she attacks the first 90 days within a new organization. She shares her aha moment that is hands down one of the best keep it simple ideas ever. Roselle breaks down the top traits of a successful quality person. She reflects on how she shifted her personal mindset to better understand the role of regulatory agencies and offers tips on how she promotes a culture of survey readiness with her team. As a nursing quality leader, Roselle tells us what truly inspires her to bring her best every single day. Roselle, let me thank you again for your time and support of our show. In the words of Drake, you started from the bottom and now you are here. And by here, I mean you're on our podcast bringing value to our audience of quality people. But more importantly, you are here within the healthcare industry bringing value to your organization and the community day in and day out. And for that, we salute you. Quality people, I hope you enjoy this fun and engaging conversation with Roselle. Leave us a review, join our LinkedIn page, and we will see you next week back with episode number 55 and another quality guest. All right. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Guest. And today I am here with my new best friend, Miss Roselle Perry. Roselle, are you ready to share with some quality people? Yes, I am. Awesome. Well, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So I would love for you to share a favorite leadership quote or mindset, but also tell us why does it appeal to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? 
My favorite quote, I had to think about this today because I love quotes, but my favorite one would be to, um, you don't have to see the whole staircase, just take the first step. And um, it's from Martin Luther King, and it's the whole quote says, take the first step in faith. Um, so you don't have to take the first step um, to um, to see the, so that's my favorite part. And then um, I think why this one appeals to me is because when I started my last job, I felt like I wasn't quite ready for this role. Um, but then I applied anyway, and I did the interview, and then I got accepted. So, <laughs> so that was uh, me living me living out that quote. All right. So I will actually say I, I knew I, I was speaking it into existence when I said my new best friend, because that is actually my personal favorite quote in life. <laughs> and so um, I, I, I mm-hmm. can't remember. I probably came across that quote, I think, about 10 or 12 years ago. And it just stuck with me because um, for me, being an engineer, I will obsess and overthink and overanalyze yes. everything. And I just got to. Yes. Yeah, I heard that quote and it just stuck out to me like, just take the step, just go, you know, uh, take a leap of faith. And and so I try to apply that as much as I can, even doing things like starting a podcast. Um, Yeah, that's true, I bet. Yeah, just take the chance. So, um, So perfect. I love that quote and I appreciate you sharing that. And now, Razelle, I would love for you to share with our quality people, you know, this is the part of the show where we're really going to get to know you. And so mm-hmm. we'd love for you to share um, your current role and your background, um, professional background that kind of got you into this career path. Um, so I am turning the mic completely over to you and, and give us a chance to explore everything that you've been through as a quality professional. Okay. Um, so my current role, um, I work at an LTAC hospital, which is long-term acute care. Um, in my background, I went from medical assistant to LPN to RN. Then I got my BS in, and then I did my master's in um, management and leadership. So it's been a um, like a different type of, um, I guess, path um, than the traditional way to do it. Um, but I had a friend who worked in who worked in quality, and she was the one who actually told me to um, to try it and see because I did not want to take the traditional chief nursing officer, which I think at the time the hospital that I worked at was offering. Um, not really bonuses, but like a pathway to become a chief nursing officer. And I didn't feel like that was the way that I wanted to go. And I I just wanted to learn more about the processes of a hospital and um, some of the problems that I was dealing with as a floor nurse or a staff nurse. And I wanted to improve the environment for the nurses. So that was my first glimpse into um, quality. It was a mentor and um, just being a frustrated nurse um, on the work in the floor and that's what opened my eyes to the different the different sides of healthcare. All right, and uh, so one of the things that that immediately stands out in your story as you shared it is just the fact that you've worked your way from the very beginning to your current position. Um, yes. You know, to to start off as an MA and then work all the way up through your master's and now um, into director and leadership level positions. I think first yes. I just, you know, that's a hat tip moment, um, you know, to to your um, progression and just to that focus to move forward. Um, one of the things that I would love for you to uh, maybe share a little bit deeply for us is the role of quality and process improvement in the LTAC environment. Um, you know, what does 
quality improvement look like for rehab and specialty services like you all provide? It's very complex um, because it's a fast-paced environment. And um, what I found different from I've done quality in a nursing home before or a skilled nurse facility versus now that I'm in the LTEC, which is very, it was, it was very challenging for me to even apply for this position, like mentally challenging. Um, because in a nursing home setting, I feel like we have more time to develop the staff because of the pace of work. Um, it's a little slower. Um, it's a lot of work, but it's just slower. And we were able to um, have more time with the staff, whereas in the LTEC, Everything is fast-paced, so you have to really condense the material you want to present to the staff, um, and you have to, like, condense it down to, like, the shortest amount of steps, and um, it challenges me to make processes very simple, Um, not, like, not skipping anything and not um, compromising safety or anything like that, but it just, it um, challenges me to take the amount of information that I'm trying to get the staff or the nurses to learn and um, put it in a very condensed version because of the intensity that we operate on. Well, and being on the outside looking in, so the majority of my healthcare career has been hospital-based, and now I've moved into health plan and, um, you know, ambulatory clinic world, but what Mm -hmm. I perceive, I've never actually done quality process improvement in the skilled nursing or the LTAC arena, but what I perceive is that the resources are definitely not the same as what we would see um, in a hospital, especially for me. My background has been mostly academic medical centers. Oh, and, wow. Okay. And so, you know, a lot those, of resources, a lot of resources, right? So mm-hmm. um, yeah. I guess, could you speak to that? What, what does the quality department look like in your world? And what, um, what are some of the resources that you do have access to? Well, <laughs> um, what it looks like in my world is I am I am it. I, I'm I'm the person, gotcha. and I work with um, medical records. Um, I have five departments um, under me. I'm five managers under me. So what it looks like is basically um, it's a lot of it um, self-driven. You have to be um, self-motivated, very innovative, and um, I would say you have to kind of develop everything and then, um, you know, get some ideas and, and, and tweak it a little bit, but there is no one um, there to tell me what I should do. Like I have lines and then I take it and I um, take our culture and our hospital and our team into consideration before I roll out something. Okay. So it's different in that sense. Um, <laughs> it's very independent. All right. Well, uh, wonderful. I, I, it sounds like you're holding down the fort, if nothing else. But um, no, I really wanted to explore that. That is one of the things as I came across your profile, I was just really um, curious to to obviously get you on the show, um, but to learn, again, just different takes. And that's one of the goals with this podcast. I, I you know, trying to mix it up with the different types of healthcare professionals. So uh, again, thank you for coming on. Um, Congratulations just on an amazing progression so far. And I'm going to go ahead and take you to the next question, if you're okay with that. Yes. Yes. Thank you. All right. Perfect. Well, next question I have for you, Roselle, is 
Um, what I would love for you to do now is to really take us back on a journey to a point that you consider the worst moment as a healthcare quality leader. But, um, you know, go ahead and share with us that moment. Tell us a story and definitely walk us through any uh, decisions that you were going through to try to turn that moment around. Oh, I have several. I have several. <laughs> I have several. Um, <laughs> one I could um, think of in particular that comes to mind first, so I should share this one is. I, um, I I got a deficiency on um, temperatures of the refrigerator. This was in a nursing home, and it was like our med refrigerator. And um, we, I mean, like clearly on this sheet, on this temp log, it said what the normal range should be. And, um, <laughs> and people would just go in and kind of like record whatever the person before them would put um, 32 degrees, 38 degrees, whatever, they would just kind of copy whatever the person before them put and not really read the sheet. And myself, I was guilty because when I checked the sheet, I never read, which was clearly on the sheet, what the normal ranges would be. So that was probably the worst moment ever because the answer was on the paper. And um, <laughs> we, that was just a major fail. Um, but it, it taught me to, um, like pay attention to detail, basically. Just really pay attention to detail because half of the time um, the answer is on the paper. Like when joint commission comes, they kind of already tell you what they want um, and you just need to follow it. So that was just a prime example of pay attention to the detail, especially in the line of quality and in the work that we do, um, their guidelines. And, and um, I don't feel, I feel like when inspectors are there or when you're um, trying to adhere to the regulations. They're not trying to make it difficult for you, but you really have to pay attention. Well, and don't talk my worst moment because it was so simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's definitely like you had one job, right? <laughs> one job. One, one job. job. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, the, the reality, actually. <laughs> no, don't be embarrassed because um, the, the reality was something like that. I've seen it pop up several times throughout my path. Um, you know, the issues with um, thermometers and temperature gauges and um, airway, uh, you know, airway controls when we look at those in different areas yes. of the hospital. So um, those are just those very minute details. And especially if folks, mm -hmm. if you're trusting the team to get yes. it right for yes. you. Um, and you get some placement. Yeah, kind of put you in a put you in a trusting, very, you know, tight spot if if you have to That's really true. do the due diligence there. But um, let me ask. So for a situation like that, um, what did you all do in terms of a remedy? Uh, what was the follow up to make sure that people would go back, um, record temperatures appropriately or, you know, kind of follow the guidelines as they were set forth? Any any special um you know, techniques or methods you put in place to ensure that the work got done? I, the technique was me. Like I was more diligent um, because every now and then um, there would be somebody that would come and record something that was out of range. And then in that case, it would be educating them on, um, okay, so it was out of range. Did you follow these steps? So really putting, re, um, redesigning the way the sheet was laid out, um, putting like an action, action steps if the temp is out of range. And it sounds very minute, but it, it just, it made a big difference. So putting the steps to what you would, what steps you would take if the temperature was out of range. And then the person um, that would document it, you know, educating them um, if 
to document that they actually followed the steps and signing off on it. So it was more so on bringing awareness to it because um, the facility I was in, people had been there for years. Mm -hmm. And I think it just became like second nature, like, oh, let me go in and check this and write a number and not really paying attention and um, understanding the the importance of the um, job. We we do so much during the day. Sometimes we don't understand the importance of it. No, absolutely. And the the reality is, you know, there's just so many things to be aware of. Um yes, yes. that, you know, it, it can be easy to get low to sleep, but then so many different details to monitor if you don't have the right systems or, you know, audit processes in place, then absolutely it could sneak up on you. So mm-hmm. all right, wonderful. And I'm really big on um re revamping the form. Um, even if the information stays the same, just kind of like throughout the years or throughout the months, just changing it so your eyes won't become um, like desensitized to what you're looking at, just making people really pay attention um, to something. All right. Wonderful. No, I think that was, that was a great share. I, I, I hate that we had to make you share one of uh, your simple embarrassing moments, but trust me, that, that issue, I, I promise you, is probably way more prevalent than any of our, our quality people would like to really acknowledge or admit to it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so again, I assure you, you are in good company, but I'm um, <laughs> going to move you to our next question, which is, um, I, I would love for you to give our quality people one tip or tool or a tactic that you found really works well to build up those intimate connections on the project teams that you've led. But uh, again, you know, share with us what it is and how do you apply it? My number one tip um, that I find that works for me, um, I try to get to understand the people first, um, especially going into a new building, a facility where I am now, I've been here uh, five months. So um, before I go and change anything. I really, uh, my goal is to connect with the um, the team that's already in place because I'm the outsider. Um, so just um, b- building relationships is always my first um, tip is to build relationships and then to ask questions because for me coming in um, from a acute rehab setting into a long-term care setting, it was a lot of things that I didn't understand and it looked um, I wouldn't say it looked wrong, but it was just foreign to me. So in order for me to, to know that it was wrong or whether we they were in line with what the policy was, I needed to understand the process and how things should go. And I learned the most by talking to staff. And then once I talk to them and I'm observing and watching the process, then I go to the policy so I can figure out where there's a break. Because when I um, educate or um, like focus on a process improvement, I want to have specifics because um, because of the, the time um, restraints that we have to spend with each other, especially in a learning setting. Um, I want to have specifics and facts um, and then present, present how things should be according to their policy. And it's not me coming from the outside telling them what they should be doing. So I want to observe how they're currently doing it what their policy says, and then um, bridge the gap. All right, wonderful. And uh, Rizal, I would love for you to to maybe dig a little bit deeper. So, um, you know, with you being still relatively new in your new role and your new team, what are some really good tips for attacking, you know, that first 90 day? They say that's that critical period for you to get in, 
you know, build relationships to make your assessments of culture or processes within those first 90 day to 100 day time frames. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you've done or, you know, just best practices that you may have utilized at any point in your career that's helped attack that first 90 days? Uh, be very humble. Um, through my last six years, I've been in quality maybe uh, about six years. Uh, being very humble and um, approachable. And when I want to learn something, I shadow each um, individual, whether it's a CNA, whether it's a nurse, whether it's a pharmacy, um, and um, be more like a student to that particular role or that position and not necessarily assert your position. I'm just here to watch how you do things. Um, I um, feel like that's what has made me be successful in my first 90 days is to really not saying who I am and uh, the reason why I'm there. It's more so um, let me see what your role is and um, how you do things and allow them to teach me and not me have anything to say. And so a lot of it during my first 90 days was really being very um, observant. All right. Wonderful. Perfect. Um, Perfect advice to move us through the first 90 days, because that's always that key period. And I know in my career moves, I've always tried to do very similar, like you just shared. It's, you know, figuring out who the key players are, figuring out who the Mm -hmm. alphas are at time, depending on the culture. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Um, that is true. (laughs) To your point, you know, figuring out, just letting folks teach you, you know, just, I, I like to show up and just say, hey, I'm just shadowing and put on my scrubs and, you know, kind of walk the halls yes. myself. So, um, yes, you'll learn, a, you'll, you'll learn a lot that way by seeing instead of uh, just, you know, pushing your title around. But um, when you're down in it, you'll probably see way more than you were expecting to see. <laughs> All right, perfect. Next question I have for you, if it's okay to move you forward a little bit, would love for you to take us to one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare professional. But again, you know, just like the last question, walk us through the moment, uh, maybe share with us the moment when the idea struck you. And definitely if you were able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. Yes. Okay. Um, one of my personal favorite moments, um, and I'll probably tell the story when an old and gray um, was at a long, long-term care facility we had a resident um, that was unable to use like any type of call light or call button that we had ordered for her. Um, she couldn't move, um, but she could make noises. Um, and um, she had tried every type of special adaptive call button, all these expensive things. And every time we would order something, it wouldn't quite work out the way that we want to. And we were getting ready for survey. And we know, of course, everybody needs to have a way that they can call for help. So um, at this moment, we were sitting at the table and we were kind of discussing getting her button fixed that we had ordered this very expensive thing and the company was kind of giving us some pushback on fixing it. Um, but we were looking for something that she can control with her mouth because that's the only thing that was fully functioning at the time. Um, so I had an idea that maybe we can use um, a baby monitor. And I don't mean it like in the demeaning term, but I was like, since she can like... Um, make some sounds with her mouth. How about we, you know, have a baby monitor and put it by her mouth and then that way she can have one by her and then her personal CNA could have um, the other part with them at all times. So um, that ended up saving us a lot of money and it was very um, simple 
and we were able to implement it that same day. And uh, at the beginning, when I when the idea came to my mind, I was like, oh, that sounds kind of like dumb. But it was so simple that it sounded dumb. But it worked out great. Everybody loved it. And um, when she would make the noise with her mouth calling for help, um, her CNA always had the um, other end of the monitor where she can talk back to her and say that she was on her way or that she was coming. So that's probably my personal favorite um, aha moment um, because sometimes we try to overcomplicate things and uh, and it was just a very simple, simple, very simple fix. And it was something that we was able to like go to the store and get right away. Well, so I, I would say like no idea is too stupid. <laughs> no idea is stupid at all, actually. No, uh, it sounds like it was the good enough solution, right? So yes, yes. <clears throat> you didn't over-engineer it. You didn't over-complicate it to your point. Exactly. You, you found the tool that worked. So um, yes, exactly. as, as a father of two and, uh, you know, for our listeners, since they obviously aren't tuning in at the time of this taping, but someone who's sitting here now talking to you with a one-year-old in his lap, um, <laughs> I, I can absolutely say we've had a lot of fun finding out all of the different hacks for the baby monitors. So yeah. Um, so I, I can relate. That's all I'm saying is, you know, the baby monitor has, it works. You know, we, we use it as a walkie talkie throughout our house and everything. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, awesome. Awesome solution there. Um, I'm glad, you know, simple solution sounds like it helped to make a great impact on the patients mm-hmm. that you were caring for. So thank you very much for that one. Mm-hmm. And next question I have for you, um, and, and I'm really looking forward to learn your point of the world, you know, your point of view on this, your view of the world, because of um, your background, again, with skilled nursing and LTACs, but what are some current changes taking place across the healthcare industry that you're excited about right now, and what role do you see quality professionals playing to either support or promote its longevity? I think quality is much more important than I thought it was when I first got into it. When I first um, like got into quality, I was like this quality assurance nurse. Um, and I just thought it was like just to help us get through survey, like to make sure we, you know, like followed all the rules. And I didn't really realize the um, the reimbursement part. And so um, my next job after that, I was um my quality role kind of overlapped into like a reimbursement coordinator. And then I kind of learned like how quality affects reimbursement. And, you know, the goal is not to punish us, but the goal is to give us a standard. So um, I think that's exciting because there's so much, you can get overwhelmed by so much, but I feel like if you use the standards that they're setting in place and use that as your benchmark, um, you'll know what goals you need to hit instead of like, um, you know, just always aiming for something and you don't quite know what it is. I I think um, when I'm working and when I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to focus on, I always want my focus to be in line with um, the Joint Commission standards or the CMS standards or um, the patient safety goals um, and things of that nature so that I can know that whatever I'm working on at the moment is in line with something that I already need to achieve. So that's probably the best Thing that I've learned now that I'm looking at it on the on a different spectrum like before I looked at it like oh my goodness we're getting a uh, survey time and you know they're coming in here to bother us but now I look at it as they're coming in here to help us provide like the best quality of care for our patients so it is really about changing the um, our perspective on it and then helping the nurses and everyone else change their perspective on um, what 
you know, what the changes mean. It's not, um, of course, it's, it's, it's a tight time right now, but it's also to make the facilities, um, I would say, just say, just do the best that you can do and um, provide high quality care for the patient. All right. Well, uh, Rosella, I'm going to set you up here um, and you're either going to love me for it or hate me for it, but I would love <laughs> to uh, go way off script with this next question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, only because you, you mentioned it a few times with, you know, your, your focus around, you know, maintaining um, just compliance with the standards or, you know, developing your quality system within your organization in alignment with the CMS and the Joint Commission, Commission standards that are out there. Um, what are one or two tips that you've either thought through or actually, you know, implemented in real life to help your facility um, maintain a constant state of readiness? Because uh, in my experience, and I, I venture to say in a lot of healthcare leaders' experience, that's one of the things we struggle with, you know, when it comes to the, the Joint Commission, the CMS standards uh-huh. approach is just maintaining a constant state of readiness and knowing that on a daily basis in real life, we're doing everything to maintain that readiness. But when we start thinking about the fact that Joint Commission is coming or DNV is coming um, or any regulatory mm-hmm. group, we, we start to lose our minds a little bit and we act like we've never been there before. So uh, again, you know, just kind of a setup question there, but you've mentioned it a few times. I, I love to maybe pick your brains on some of the things that you all are doing to just stay on top of it and stay ready for for those visitors when they come? We do a lot of education. Um, Once a month, we have what's called survey readiness meetings. Um, We'll be in our window um, December timeframe, but every month we'll have a survey readiness meeting with um, management, um, different um, managers of management, of different departments and kind of um, I will ask them to um, kind of just like gauge where they feel their department is in the survey readiness process. We we go back and we look on like past surveys and then we follow up to make sure we're still um, we're still good in those areas and then we identify some problem areas. And for the most part our team they have a lot of experience and they kind of already know like they've already um, just like kind of given a generalized view of their department, like they can kind of gauge where they are and know what they need to work on. Um, but that's our main thing right now is we're doing a monthly survey readiness meeting. And then we have a once a day safety huddle. So when we have an incident in um, our facility or when we're just educating on something that has like kind of flared up in the building, I always want to refer the nurses back to um, this is this is a CMS thing or this is a joint commission thing because I want them to already be um, familiar with the words and not just, I don't want them to have fear like when joint commission is in the building. I don't want that to be the first time, you know, like they're hearing this and and be all unsettled. I want it to be just an everyday practice. This is how we do things because this is a standard. Um, And just letting them know um, that we're already doing this. So when, when we have a survey, there's no need to be unsettled because this is how we already operate. Yeah, that that's always been, you know, my observation is, uh, to your point, you know, it's on a daily basis. We provide phenomenal okay. care. We, you know, we abide by, you know, the highest standards of healthcare of our professions. 
And, and then, you know, once that announcement comes over the PA that Joint Commission is in, is in the building, um, it's like we, we just lose it for whatever the reason. Mm-hmm. So it, it's always been an interesting experience. But no, I, I appreciate it you uh, yeah, sharing some of those additional thoughts. And uh, again, you know, I, I just thought that'd be a really good thing to point out from LTAC point of view. Um, and I'm sure even our hospital listeners will relate to that as well. So I appreciate okay. you going with that. Uh, next question I have for you is, how can the healthcare industry as a whole become a bit more attractive place for ambitious, talented, quality professionals um, to either start or grow their careers? I think it happens on the um, like the hiring side. I don't know what side, the HR side, but I think you know, looking for diverse candidates with um, just a wide range of experience, not necessarily. Um, if it's a hospital and you're you're, um, looking for a director of quality with hospital experience, I think everyone has um, room to grow. um, And if they have potential, I think with um, the training that is in place and the leadership and the support, someone can easily, I I say easily because I feel like the um, transition um, wasn't as hard as I thought it would be because of the support systems that was that was in place when I came over to into this role. So I think part of it is just looking for people that have healthcare, like a diverse healthcare experience and not just um, one, um, one type of setting. I, I just feel like it's just, people have so much to offer. Like it, it doesn't have to be just a traditional hospital or um, if, you, if you're in LTAC or if you're in SNF, you know, like you continue on in SNF because that's the path that I was on. Like I started out in a, a school nursing facility and then I kept accepting like quality jobs in that. And then um, because that's what I thought like I should do. And then someone easily told me when I interviewed, it was like, I think you'd be great because they knew what systems they had in place and what training they had in place and how they would be able to support me in the transition. All right. That's wonderful. So I love the diversity of thought. Um, I I know we are obviously talking for the first time ever, but a quick background on myself. I actually came from outside of healthcare into healthcare. My my training and background is actually in engineering. So, you know, to to talk about just kind of coming in with a fresh set of eyes when I when I entered Mm -hmm. the healthcare industry, um, that was me. But I I can definitely say I, I think I attacked many of the problems. Uh, with a much different mindset than the team that I worked yes. with at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the um, experiences when I went through the interview process, um, I remember the leaders that I met with just giving me some of their thoughts in terms of what made a really good quality improvement professional. Um, because obviously I would have a learning curve to learn healthcare, but I think they just saw, you know, maybe some characteristics that I was going to bring to the team at that time. Um, So I I would love to maybe throw that at you really quickly. What are two or three characteristics of a really good quality improvement professional or a problem solver that, you know, when you're looking to hire somebody that that stands out to you, no matter what their background is? What are what are just those three things that two or three things that would connect a, a potential professional? You, I mean, the main word you said was a problem solver. I am um, in, in temperament. Like, I am a solution type. I, I will listen to this problem, um, and, and then um, not the whole time I'm thinking, okay, so what's the solution? Like, how can I fix this? So that's how my mind works. Like, um, 
when I'm presented with a problem, I just kind of, I want to know, like, how can we fix this? Or how can we keep this from happening again? I think that mindset, um, being like solutions driven. And I also think temper, temperament matters. I'm not very um, emotional at work and I'm not easily stressed out, especially like probably in this job, you probably shouldn't be. But it allows you to be neutral, kind of look at everything holistically without, you know, being emotionally um, attached to one particular area. Even though I'm a nurse, like I'm not um, sensitive when an issue comes up in nursing and saying, oh, you know, that's nursing versus um, therapy or nursing versus pharmacy. I look at the situation holistically. So I think your temperament does affect, um, especially if you're doing quality for the whole facility because you have to work with so many different departments and you can't be biased um so that's probably one thing is the temperament and then would be um just able to come up with solutions quickly all right perfect i love i love both of those um responses so i i would fall in line with both of them i think we could work together <laughs> all right well Roselle, i'm proud to say that you're doing great and you're about halfway through all of our interview questions but now we're going to move uh into a segment of the show that we call the two minute drill but wanted to do a quick check and see if you're ready to roll okay yes mm -hmm. all right perfect well the uh, first question i have for you is a two-parter first could you tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best then share with us how do you inspire others within your organization? Ah, oh, how do I inspire people? Um, the first part, I would say, um, when I go to work, I feel like my the nurses work so hard. I'm a nurse, okay. so the nurses work so hard. Like I feel like I want to do everything possible to make their workflow smoother, um, to like eliminate any kind of frustrations and hiccups and equipment problems and all that stuff. Like I'm really there for the people that are down, I sit down in trenches and grinding and taking care of their patients. Like I wanna make sure like everything goes as smooth as possible for them. So um, that that's probably what inspires me the most is to make sure that the people that are connected to our patients have what they need um, to do their job. And then the second part, um, inspire others. Oh, I would just, oh, I don't know. That's a hard one. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you'd be like, yeah. Yeah, I get them to come and work on my improvement projects. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that doesn't happen so fast. I have to bribe them with food. I, uh, I feel you like, know. I like, <laughs> no, I do. I have, I have to bribe them with food. So. Um, I would say to, um, Maybe like, I'd like think outside the box and like always challenge yourself. That's probably like the, the biggest thing is like um always forcing people to challenge themselves just to do a little bit better, a little bit more. All right. Wonderful. I'll, I'll accept it. I think that's a great reply. Um, could you share what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Like that's it. Something I learned in nursing school, just don't be afraid to say, I don't know. And you can come back with the correct answer. I found that's much better than saying the wrong thing. Perfect. Good advice there. And Roselle, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? No one. <laughs> I actually this question. <laughs> and then, no one. I, I love I love what I do. All right. Awesome. Uh, could you share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality improvement initiatives? Being open minded and 
I uh, I prefer the roundtable approach, like a more collaborative environment. Like I am not in charge of the process improvement on um, anything. We are here to, uh, you know, come up with an idea together. I find like when you um, create an idea or an action plan together, people are more um, bought in or more, more willing to actually carry it out instead of me, initiate, you know, like um, creating it, initiating the plan and, um, and telling people how to implement it. I prefer um, to get input and let's do this together. All right. Wonderful. And what is your go-to website or mobile application for executing the work that you lead? IHI.org. Um, and right now I can't think of what it even means, but it's IHI.org. And of course, Joint Commission, because right now that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's what I'm focusing on. So um, it's not my favorite, but that's like, I'm like, okay, this is like my library right now. All right. Wonderful. And that's uh, Institute for Healthcare Improvement, right? There you go. Yes. <laughs> All of our acronyms. Well, if, if you are yes. in Joint Commission, <laughs> then that is totally understandable. <laughs> All right. Yes. Um, would love for you to share with our quality people one professional society and one professional conference that you think would be a value add. So I don't have a favorite professional uh, society right now, but in the future, when I have like more time to, to read, um, I think I would love to get the um, CHPQ certification for myself. Um, I love their website um, and I would love to be a part of their network. So that is probably one um, that I would. And then I also am interested in the certified patient safety um, certification. So those two, like I'm really looking to get into their network. All right, wonderful. Well, that first one, uh, the CPHQ is through the National Association for Healthcare Quality, um, NACU. Yes. And yes. Uh, tomorrow, the show that's dropping tomorrow, I don't know if you've been following the podcast or not, that, that might need, that may be like the official qualifier for future guests. Like you got to listen to my podcast, but. Um, I saw it on LinkedIn. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, uh, the guest that I'm, that I'm releasing uh, for tomorrow, she's the past president for NACU. Um, she's a nurse. She's exceptionally credentialed and she's just really amazing. So if you get a chance, um, I definitely say check her out. Um, okay. But she has both of those certifications plus some. So I probably looked at it on, um, I was following, I was following the page and I saw um, your, the guest right before this show. So I was, um, I'm going to go and follow her. Yeah. She, she's really good. If you, um, if you ever just needed to reach out and, you know, connect and, pick her brain. She's really open to that. So okay. just, just a heads up. Nancy Curdy is her name. Uh, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Perfect. Back to our show, right? Um, yes. <laughs> if you could please recommend one book to our quality people that you think would be uh, a good read and why? Ah, it wouldn't be quality related. Um, <laughs> that is totally okay. My <laughs> <laughs> favorite book lately um oh goodness i was reading becoming by michelle obama <laughs> actually I, so it's I, not quality related <laughs> no it, it's a great story though i, I think it I, is 
Yeah, but I think it just tells tells a great story, like you said, just a great story. Yeah, no, it was very inspirational. Um, uh, we just finished it at my wife's book club, so, um, yeah, it it's really good. Mm-hmm. So awesome. No, it's totally okay that it's not quality. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Rizal, we are right there at our last question, but this is a personal favorite because I'm going to get you to reflect on your past while having you look forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send yourself one text message 10 years in the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second to think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Keep going. It would be the same. I like it. I, I I can see the application for the past and the future. So I, wonderful. Yes. Yes. Very simple. Very simple. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wonderful. Uh, Roselle, I, I can't um, thank you enough just again for jumping on the show um, here late in the evening and, um, you know, me balancing uh, a very non-typical show taping on my end. So I appreciate your flexibility um, your your openness to sharing with our quality people. Uh, before I let you go, I would love to end today's call with you, um, with you giving our quality people a parting piece of advice uh, and sharing the best way that they can follow or connect with you through social media, and then we'll officially sign off. My favorite piece of advice is um, to take risks. I think, um, well, not I think, but I know um, throughout my life when I look back I was a teen mom um pregnant with my daughter at 16 and I just I feel like um if I hadn't taken risks and um, not being afraid to step out like I said without seeing the whole staircase I mean just taking that one step at a time that would be the thing um or the saying that I live by like you don't have to have it all figured out but take the next step towards the future that you want to create for yourself um, so that is my favorite piece of advice. That's what I live by um, because sometimes we get very fearful um, with getting outside of our comfort zone, but taking the one step, sometimes all you have is enough uh, to just take one step and then um, seeing how you um, feel comfortable with that and then you take another one. So you don't have to be overwhelmed and have everything figured out. Just take one step at a time. And um, you, I'm on Instagram. Um, I Instagram name is Russell Perry. Um, pretty much the most social media, um, my main social media thing right now. All right. Wonderful. And so, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. And we'll catch both of those in the uh, show notes that will accompany this when the show comes out officially. Um, Roselle, you did a wonderful job tonight. I appreciate you so much. And as we sign off, I would love to just say that uh, to our quality people everywhere, thank you for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis Gray signing off. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.